might ask the question, how is it or in what way are human beings different than stones, grasses, trees, insects, dogs, cats? What is it really that makes the human condition stand out? Now, of course, it's important to acknowledge from the very beginning that it is only a human being who can make such a statement. Well, granted, we don't know if the stones speak to each other or the grasses, the trees, the insects, dogs, cats. But from our point of view of a human being, we have the ability to discern, to objectify, to abstract, and we have the ability to think. That is something that is very special. Since it is so special, it has also found an expression or its expression in the various religious traditions. Now, if we look at Buddhism, for example, if we understand in a very basic sense the idea of evolution or of progression, or maturation. Of course, it would be that from the human point of view, we would describe the human mind as the highest state of development in nature thus far. Further, classical Buddhist descriptions go higher into the realms of the devas, so beings that have a higher mental state than human beings. Be that as it may, however that may be, what we can say about ourselves is that we have to look at things from the point of view of where we are, which is the point of view of a human being. So what is so unique with that ability to think? combined with the ability to perceive, to feel, and to act, is that we also perceive, feel, and sometimes sense by intuition that this mind in which we find ourselves every day is not complete. We feel incomplete. The very existence of the societal and cultural phenomenon that we call religion is an expression of our feeling incomplete. In theistic religions, religions that believe in a God, that incompleteness is seen in contrast to the completeness of the divine. In Buddhism and especially in Zen, 
we go forward to investigate what is it that is the essence of our being and to investigate what is it that makes us feel incomplete or in what way, shape or form does this incompleteness manifest itself. To put it in human terms, why are we unhappy sometimes? Why do we suffer? Why do we fight? And most of all, the question is, what are we doing here? That is an investigation that is almost scientific because it starts right where we are with the instruments that we have, including thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, all of that. But there's also the eye of our mind that is beyond mere two-dimensional thinking abstract thinking. And there's our body, a body that feels, a body that can be used for acting, for manifestation, for doing things. So with all these elements, it's a rather interesting thing to engage in a practice that tries to dig deep and to find out what is truly essential here. What are the reasons that cause suffering? And that is how the Buddha started out with his first noble truth. And suffering is a translation that comes out of, I would say, probably the Western context more than the true meaning of the Sanskrit word dukkha. Another word that might be more accurate is unsatisfactory instead of suffering. So incompleteness is unsatisfactory. The interesting thing is to observe that we as human beings try to do the right thing intuitively in order to overcome the feeling of incompleteness. We try to make relationship and that's just the right thing to do. How we learn to do that, in which direction we go, and what tools we use for making relationship is important, though. One relationship type that we easily engage in is the one that is based upon the affirmation of our own self. 
So here we are. I am reaching out. I am hungry. So I make relationship with food. It becomes part of myself by eating it. If the I am self, that what we feel who we are, senses the need to be loved, we reach out to those who affirm ourselves. We find somebody who thinks we are terrific. We find somebody who finds us attractive. So it's a mutual relationship. And there's relationship with the world. We can make relationship with the world by looking at it through different lenses. Religion is one. God gave us this world to use it for our own comfort is one way to look at that. We, the humans, were created by God in the highest way as an image of himself to be the predominant force in this universe is another way to look at it. In Zen and in Buddhism, though, we ask the question, who is it who is asking these questions? Before going out into that relationship realm of self and other, we engage in the investigation of what is it that this self is that has the need, the urge, the intuition to make relationship. So studying, investigating, becoming truly familiar with the workings of that self is very important. And that is what we do here in this practice. Often people think, well, Zen practice and meditation is there to help us deal with our stress, make us more relaxed, be more healthy. All of that is true. We can use it for that. But in its deepest and most committed way of practicing, it is more than that. It is going into the question, who is it that sees? Who is it who is thinking these thoughts? Who is it speaking this word? Who is it listening? Who is it hearing the words and turning them from one language maybe into another language or from one language into just understanding? Who is that? A fascinating investigation. In Zazen, by becoming more quiet, following our breath, committing ourselves to a strong posture, we allow to set the circumstances and the conditions right 
so that we can, like a diver, dive deeper, go deeper than the surface of the ocean that is constantly whipped up by winds where the waves break. We dive deeper where the water is calmer and where we can see in a different way, experience ourselves in a different way and become closer to making true relationship with who we are. It has nothing to do with thinking. It has nothing to do with the ideas that we have, how we should look, how we would like to be perceived. All of that falls away as we go deeper into that state of clarity where we just engage in the most essential of activities, where everything else that is added on, like judging, the upkeep of a specific identity, even intention, fall away. And that moment, that seeing of our own self-nature is very important because it changes things. It allows us to find a different center of gravity that is not like the cork that is floating on the top of that ocean where every wave throws the cork around. It's bobbing up and down and hurled through the air by the wind when our center of gravity sinks down deeper and deeper into that calmness and clarity of the essence of being. We begin to understand the physics, the mechanics, the principles of everything that we experience in this life. just by following our breath, just by allowing our thinking to become unnoticed, to flow and make noises like the murmur of a brook without having to be followed, without having to be pushed away. Inhalation and exhalation open the door to our dive. And then, of course, we can't stay under there forever. Even if we had big oxygen tanks on our backs, we will have to come back to the surface. We have to leave this place where we do zazen, where we find that stillness and go out into the world. And we can do that and bring with us that center of gravity that in its essence has always been there and been with us. 
So, please note that to do this, there is no belief necessary. There is no doctrine necessary that you have to believe in. All that is required for this experience and this investigation is the determination and the willingness, the openness to follow our intuitive longing for true relationship. Yes, make relationship with that what is the essence of what it is that has that longing. Find out. Find out for yourselves. 